0: Have you heard about Global Poker? Global Poker is the fastest growing card room in the U.S. today, and it's available online at GlobalPoker.com. Global Poker is a social poker site that offers safe and secure cash-out options by using their unique and patented sweepstakes model. Players can compete in big guaranteed tournaments, jackpot sit-and-goes, or cash games featuring Hold'em, Omaha, and even Crazy Pineapple. Don't wait. Check out Global Poker today. Poker Stories is an audio series that features casual interviews with some of the game's best players and personalities. Each episode highlights a well-known figure in the poker world and dives deep into their favorite tales, both on and off the field. Hello and welcome to Poker Stories, a podcast brought to you by Card Player. The Poker Authority, and hosted by me, Julio Rodriguez. This is episode number 91, and it features two-time World Series of Poker bracelet winner and daily fantasy sports crusher, Jesse Martin. Jesse is now 40 years old. Happy birthday, by the way. And he is originally from Northborough, Massachusetts. He picked up poker while he was at Syracuse University, and actually decided to do it for a living before Moneymaker won the main event and sparked the poker boom. In the nearly 20 years since, Jesse has continuously reinvented himself as a poker pro, starting with Limit Hold'em cash games and then moving online where he did it under the name Maze or Bowie. Uh, After picking up mixed games, Jesse spent his time moving back and forth between high-stakes cash games and the tournament circuit, where he has won more than $3.2 million. He has several final table finishes at the WSOP, including a third place showing in the 50K Poker Players Championship for almost $600,000. He also has two bracelets, having won the 2013 $10,000 No Limit Deuce event and the 2017 $2,500 Mixed Triple Draw event. After his son was born, Jesse started concentrating more on daily fantasy sports so that he could be at home. In December, he turned a $600 qualifier into $2 million when he won the DraftKings Fantasy Football World Championship in Miami. Anyway, that's enough intro. Here's my conversation with Jesse Martin. I am here with the one and only Jesse Martin. Jesse, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well today. I'm doing doing fine. Yeah, moods moods up, spirits are high. Yeah, I mean
1: you know uh, you know so, some uh, some 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 low spirits I guess uh, based on the current environment, but overall uh, you know doing really well through everything.
0: Well, we are recording this uh, the week that most people would be getting into town here in Las Vegas uh, where I am. for for the world series of poker i mean i know you're not exactly a specifically a poker pro these days or exclusively (laughs) i should say uh but i'm I'm assuming the world series is something you look forward to every year
1: it is definitely i mean it, it world series is definitely something i look forward to every year or have for the last uh you know 15 years um Now that I have a three-year-old son, um, I actually have, have started looking forward to it less because it means, uh, you know, a lot of time apart from him. Mm -hmm. So, so that is, uh, you know, I guess one, uh, positive from, from, from not having the World Series Poker this year that I don't have to go through that, uh, you know, kind of, uh, limbo where I I do love playing the World Series Poker and playing all the events, but I also, uh don't love uh being away from my family or you know obviously uh or you know they, they do visit when i go but they don't come out with me so uh so, so so it is kind of especially last year it became a tough time for me so it's uh it's it, 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 it's interesting not to have it and uh, i guess we'll see how it feels
0: well where is home these days uh is it miami boston la um
1: at los angeles right outside of la um I uh, just kind of uh, you know, had, had like a little land right outside of L.A. and still can go play in the L.A. casinos or, or was, were, was playing in the L.A. casinos when they were running. And yeah, so I'm a, I'm a West Coaster. I grew up in, in Massachusetts and went to school in New York and lived in New York City for a while. But at this point, I've been out in L.A. for nine years and no real plan to leave anytime soon.
0: So. Well, let's go back to uh, Massachusetts. Is it uh, Northborough? Mm-hmm. Am I, is there an accent on that? <laughs> that <I'm laughs> no, no Northborough. That's it. I read you played soccer growing up. Uh, what else was uh, little Jesse getting into?
1: Uh, soccer, basketball, tennis were, it was definitely the top three. Um, yeah, I just played a ton of sports and... Yeah, that was basically what my life revolved around, um, at least until uh, maybe a little recreational marijuana when I was <laughs> a junior or senior in uh, in high school. But yeah, just a ton of sports and you know playing with friends. Uh, pretty normal suburban uh, uh, lifestyle, middle class suburban grow, growing up.
0: Uh, I know you didn't find poker until college. What what did, what was the plan? What did you want to do?
1: That's a great question. Uh, my I, I had a major in college that I, it, it was a information system technology. OK. Um, and I really wasn't that great at it. Um, you know, it wasn't. I'm trying to,
0: let's see, let's frame this, 98,
1: 99? Yeah, I mean, I graduated in 2002. So yeah, so I so yeah, I started in 98, 99. Um, yeah, so one of the problems with a major like that is that everything's going to be obsolete by the time you have the workforce, anyways. Um, exactly. But it was—it was a new major actually. The year I got there it was a new major at Syracuse, and you know, it combined business and computers, and it actually is a great program. And you know, I have uh, um, friends from the program who've done great things since. And uh, but I—I I was kind of coasting by and getting okay grades, and really my plan was just to get a degree and move to a major city and figure it out that really was my plan before poker uh, which is maybe one of the reasons it was so easy for me to fall into poker because I didn't really have a plan I figured I'd figure something out at some point but I wasn't one of those people who was you know studying to be a doctor or or a sports reporter I I was just kind of going to get my degree and enter the workforce because that's what you do right it's just one of those things that's what a lot of people do, for sure. Yeah, some yeah. <laughs> people are some some people are more focused or more you know or, or or have a path in college, but a lot of people definitely don't.
0: So walk me through how how poker got introduced to you. Did you play uh, all as a kid? Uh,
1: you know, I played. I, I, I was. I, I, I played in camp. Uh, I, I played some form of poker in camp. I was always. I was always intrigued by gambling, but certainly didn't play much. Um, I do remember like watching. You know, like world, you know, maybe when Chris Ferguson won or so, just watching the World Series of Poker on ESPN went with no whole cards and being intrigued by it, but certainly nothing big. And then really just uh, Rounders coming out and very similar story. Rounders coming out, and, you know, one of my best friends from college, Sonny, uh, his group of friends were like Rounders obsessed. And he's like, or I guess his, uh, his fraternity brothers were Rounders obsessed. And he brought me along to a game one night. And I I remember getting heads up and losing heads up and you know it was terrible obviously and but just uh, just pretty much was hooked from then just just the camaraderie of the game and you know meeting some new friends and so you were
0: good. finding because rounders came out in ninety eight so you were into poker before the boom
1: I was definitely into poker I mean I was a professional poker player before Moneymaker, maker um, for sure yeah yeah I was. I was, uh, you know, I graduated in 2002. Yeah. I was playing at turning. stone I went to Syracuse. So I was playing, uh, I was going once or twice a week to turning stone my senior year of college, but, you know, the, the rounders thing for me was more, I think, 2000, 2001. I, it wasn't right when it came out, but it was, I guess one, you know, on video. Well, I, don't, and...
0: yeah, I don't think anybody saw in theater. Yeah, I guess not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, I just bought went to the, went to the carousel mall and, and bought uh, you know whatever poker book uh, looked good on the shelf at Barnes and Nobles, and and I, I, I for whatever reason uh, bought the bought some good Skolansky books right away, and 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 that was enough to beat the local you know 10-20 Limit Hold'em game. I was beating it you know right away, just like wow this is easy. I just follow what this book says that I've read 20 times, and and I can make uh, make $20 an hour at the casino on my day off.
0: Right, right. Because I'm assuming being in the Northeast and before you know the No Limit Hold'em boom, you were playing Stud
1: and Limit, Limit Hold'em a lot. Uh, exclusively Limit Hold'em. Uh, yeah, I was. I, I, yeah, just played tons of Limit Hold'em. Although um, the Limit Hold'em game, uh, by the time I graduated college, uh, the game that I was playing in pretty much died out and had turned into a five ten No Limit game, and uh, I started playing that also. And uh, didn't really totally know how to transition to no limit hold'em. Didn't have a no limit hold'em book, but basically just the same tight hand selection. And you know, at that point, it had it just has just thought about poker in general a lot. I, I was kind of holding my own in the no limit game too, although uh, certainly didn't feel as comfortable in it.
0: So there wasn't like online poker, at least not like it was a few years later, right? Um, right after-
1: Oh, sorry. R- right after I graduated, um, I moved to Boston, and uh, still without a job, um, really just kind of had a little bit of a bankroll built up. Um, and I was living in Boston, going to Red Sox games, and uh, going to Foxwoods uh, w- when Red Sox were on the road. And but but when I was at home in Boston, I did have a Paradise Poker account set up, and I was playing five ten limit them on Paradise Poker. Um, not really. With I, I think I maybe won or broke even, but it wasn't. I didn't feel like it was like some great money making opportunity compared to driving to Foxwoods and playing fifteen thirty limit hold'em at the time. Now, were you doing
0: you know just well enough to keep your head above water, pay the bills, or was this a situation where the bankroll's growing and you're looking at that degree, wondering if you're ever going to use it?
1: Well, like you said it was before the boom. So, it was it, it was it was harder for me to picture a career of professional poker, but it was easy for me to picture, you know, yeah, I was keeping uh, good notes and I was beating the 1530 game um to what I calculated to be like $35 an hour and I could <laughs> feel that I had an edge. So, you know, so it wasn't like some like I could just tell I was playing better poker than than these people and um you know so they thir- you know 35 an hour you know maybe you know, there's also a 2040 game that ran at mohegan sun sometimes so i kind of just calculated that if i played a bunch i could make 60 seventy thousand a year and on my off time i could go to red Sox games and fish concerts and you know <laughs> that was kind of what my Current plan was, but certainly wasn't thinking that I would be a professional. Well, I don't. I guess I don't totally remember, but I. I don't think I was thinking that I would be a lifetime professional poker player or a professional gambler. I just, at, at the time, it was a pretty cool way to put some money in my pocket and have freedom. But
0: at, you must have known of professional poker players or heard about them, or for sure, yeah. Were you was... looking up to anybody, those guys in Vegas at all, or? no aspirations of playing you know in bobby's room one day
1: not right away but eventually yeah it, that, all that stuff came pretty quickly um as far as aspirations of looking up at the time i was just looking up. i mean i remember their names Or, right? i mean you know one guy was billy whitney he was he was the you know easily the best fifteen thirty limit hold player at foxwoods and you know i kind of you know became somewhat friendly with him and just kind of watched how he approached uh, poker and being a professional. You know, he had a wife and kids and, you know, in a house in Connecticut and, and he was a, a very talented player and smart guy. And so I observed him and, and how he conducted himself um, and how he treated it like a job. And then there was another guy, I forget his last name, but was a guy named Pat, the Mohegan son. And, you know, I observed him. And so, so, so there were some guys who were, you know, I mean, you can be a professional 15, 30, 20, 40, limit player and, and make, you know, like I said, you know, 60 to 100,000 a year and, you know, support a family. So I, I don't know if those are aspirations, but I, I, I did see how it was done. Um, but I don't remember – I don't think at the time that I thought that, you know, one day I would be playing the 50K, you know, Players' Championship. There. Mm-hmm. I don't think. I, I don't – yeah, it wasn't it, – it You know, Nick Schulman, for example, I think right away he's just like, you know, I want to, you know, I, this is like my calling. I want to be the best in the world. You know, you know, this is, this is it for me. And I'm not sure if that, if it hit me the exact same way.
0: Well, that, uh, I'm just going to bring up something I had planned for later uh, because it brings up an an interesting idea. There was a debate on Twitter recently of who are the top 10 uh, most talented poker players. And you saw a difference between talented and hardworking. And I'm wondering how you identify a player uh, in each category and what category you put yourself in.
1: Right. Um, Okay. Somewhat of a tough one. Yeah. So, so talent to me is, uh, it's, it's more like a field play. I guess I equate talent to like someone who's who's a field player who, uh, who who really just has a, a, a feel for the flow of the game and uh it, and, and just, just can kind of make reads and plays based off um, talent I guess I, I have a hard, hard hard way to um to to, to use a different word instead the of the pennies
0: of the world of the world
1: yeah I think so instead of instead of someone who is is really um, you know more more of a calculated player um who really has studied the game and is making a play because, you know you know, even before Solvers is making a play because, you know, they've they've studied this spot and they they've sat sat in their yeah. office and really you know and, Domin- and, and, and Dominic Nietzsche. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, but even a pre-solver, you know, type of thing where you know, you know, like they the, they beat the game because they have have the best hand selection and stuff like that. So okay. um, you know, someone like Greg Mueller, I, I think, actually, just kind of came to mind. That he, he, I don't think he really got brought up that much, but you know, whenever I play with Greg, I can feel his talent. You know, while I'm playing with him, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. just it's just something that, that that's there. It's like this this guy knows. You know he 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 was you know he he was born you know I guess he was born for hockey I was going to say he was born for poker but you know he part part of his being is, is 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 poker he's just very comfortable and and talented so um yeah Greg and, and was on this podcast and uh,
0: I got the sense that he basically treated poker tournaments not that dissimilar from hockey tournaments you know what I mean <laughs> right. Uh, it he, ta- he it's a sport to him, you know, more than anything. Um, and sometimes, you know that mentality can get you pretty far,
1: yeah. but yeah, he just has a feel. I, I guess for and Doyle kind of described it that you know I saw Doyle describe on Twitter that you know he he views talent as you know you create, you know you invent a new poker game, and whoever can you know is the best of it, best at it. and And I don't, you know not not to question the great Doyle Brunson, but I don't totally look at it the same way because. You know, a, a poker theorist, I would think, would be, you know, one of the best people um, to, to you know, to tackle a new game because they understand how to break down the game theory of a new game. And I would think more like the guy who maybe when you invent that new game, you know, can kind of tell if you're, you know, can kind of, you know, can kind of tell if you're bluffing on the turn by day two based on, you know, it just has more of a feel for the game than, than, than someone who, who's maybe… You know, more theory. Um, I wonder theory if that's game.
0: just a product of the times, though, because back in Doyle's day, when, when a new game was popping up, it did kind of take talent to be able that's to translate point. one skill from a game you know to the new one where you may not know the same odds and percentages. That's right. Yeah. He may call that talent, even though it's just math skill. You know what I mean?
1: Well, yeah, I would say 10 years ago, probably, probably that would be pretty. Pretty or you know, 20 years ago, I think maybe the, the way he looks at it would be the exact way to look at it, and maybe even how I looked at it. Now I just think that anyone who has the best theory mm-hmm. base can kind of go from game to game and you know use game theory or, or, or yeah, you, know, you, you, you use a GTO. Thinking to apply it to a new game, and, and, and they can do it quickly, um, and, and that's why these great players, um, you know, whether they're talented or theory based, can play these twenty-game big bet mixes, you know, with different rules. Because really, it's all it's all poker, and they're they're, they're just adjusting their poker theory to different games. And work off the table is going to help them, you know, mostly with hand selection and stuff like that. But the but 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 the theory of big bet poker um, is kind of uh, universal from game to game.
0: Well, now now here comes the question: Where do you put yourself? You're obviously one of the top tier poker players out there. Are you talented or are you a hard worker?
1: Right. Well, well, first of all, I um, myself today compared to myself even three or four years <laughs> ago when I was just totally engulfed in poker um, before I had a son, before I was married. Um, is different. So, you know, obviously my talent is the same and I think I am certainly, you know, the thing is anyone like me who's, who's spent, you know, 15 years as a successful professional poker player clearly has poker talent, but I have never put myself as far as talent in the same group as, you know, you know, someone like Greg, someone like Nick Shulman, uh, maybe someone like you know, David Oppenheim. You know, you know that group. I, I never put myself in. I put myself in. You know, the the, the tier below them as far as talent. Um, so I think when I was, you know, playing in some of the biggest games and and doing well at the highest level, um, I think you know my work worth at work ethic at the time and, and and how much I was dedicated to learning the new games and doing. You know, reaching out to you know, different people, you know, the best players in different games and trying to learn from them, uh, I think, you know, really brought me um, a long way um, and, and really, you know, gave me an edge um, or, or, or added to my edge in a way that maybe, you know, my non, you know, top of the tier world class talent um, would bring me. But okay. I, well, yeah, but I do think it's, it, it you know, anyone who's going to you know, anyone who's going to, you know, play in the biggest games and have an edge certainly is going to be a talented poker player.
0: Well, let's get back to the the rise up the, the rankings for you there. Um, you know, when did you feel like, OK, this is my career or was there a big turning point or score? I mean, I know you you had a big scoop uh, main event final table for like 400K and there was a, a win was- at Bellagio, you know, um, yeah, those were both
1: both big moments. I would say uh, when I thought to myself, "Wow, this might be something I'm going to be doing for the next doing for the next 30 years," instead of kind of taking it, you know, year by year, yeah. was uh, was just the advent of, of of online poker or the explosion of online poker. Um, you know, so I, I moved to San Diego in 2004 and was playing four tables of 1530 on Party Poker. And at that time, you could really make a lot of money. And once you kind of add up the money, you're like, "Wow!" Is I mean, if this, if, you know, poker's huge right now. It's only going to get bigger. You know, yeah, this is something that I'm probably going to end up doing until until I, you know, you know, in, until I can, you know, stop making, you know, you know, multiple six figure years, you know, back to back to back. And it seemed like that wasn't going to end anytime soon. And 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 I even moved to New York City. Um, after one year in San Diego, you know, all my or a lot of my best friends were in New York City. And, and I and I love, you know, I, I had, you know, kind of started to fall in love with New York City. And I moved there, you know, with no plan of taking a job just to, you know, live in an apartment and play online poker. and I was very confident that I would be able to do that and, and, and make good money. And, and I was able to do that for, you know, I lived there for six years. So I guess, you know, probably the decision to move to New York City and, you know, be an online poker player was probably uh, when I was really taking it seriously, I would say. Or, or yeah, really think, uh, realized that, that this was the path.
0: Yeah, I think uh, our listeners might remember your screen name, Maze or Bowie. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice, what, Fish reference? Or is that Grateful Dead? Yeah, it's a, yeah it's, uh, <laughs> Fish. Yeah, it's a re- <laughs> reference
1: to the band Fish. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, but uh, you know, obviously, you, you know, you're you're moving along there. You're doing well online, big scores there. Uh, you had that win at Bellagio for a quarter million. You um, know, seven. Um, uh, did was mixed always a part of it, or did no, you Pick it, up those games along the way.
1: Yeah, mixed really wasn't a part of it. It's uh, you know, I don't really have any regrets at this point. But I would say at some point. I did have the regret, that, the regret that, wow, like, I always had thought to myself, I need to learn mixed games. Like, I need to learn mixed games. It, it would really help me. But I guess at the time, you know, I was playing mostly No Limit Hold'em at that time, and I was doing well, and I guess I wasn't really needing extra action, so I just never learned it. And I was always a little – little uh, scared to learn it as far as like I thought the learning curve was really big and I and, and I I'm not sure why I never realized that I really could just sit down and, and learn it and, and work hard at it like right, I
0: especially at, with your limit hold'em
1: background for sure and I just never never really learned it until I guess I, I, I mean I think the story and I've told it before I, I, I it, you know something like 2009 2010 um, you know I was doing well I I was I was playing pretty big limit hold'em on full tilt and doing fine. And one of the one of the you know a, a losing player from our limit hold'em game, uh, you know, at that time you could search um, what table they were at, and he was at my limit hold'em game and abruptly left. And I saw he was sitting in a horse game, you know, 300, 600 horse with with Eli Elezra and I think Hassan Habib and and whoever else. And I had a bunch of money in my account, and I said, Well, I guess uh and, you know, obviously I knew the rules and I had watched, you know, and I, I I, maybe messed around a little bit with it, but really was very new to all the games as far as like advanced strategy. But I just hopped in and and I, I think I won $50,000 in that one session. Wow. Uh,
0: 300 600 Wow. That's yeah, a good, maybe 400 a a Yeah,
1: it was crazy. You know, the guy was uh, exceptionally uh, loose player. Um, so, you know, really all it was was kind of bingo, you know, just if you can, uh, if you can you know, make make a make a hand or two. You're you're gonna make a you're gonna win some big pots, and so just ran good with that, and then kind of used that as the you know discretionary bankroll to play uh to to play bigger mixed games, and you know finally started, um yeah, just learn you know buying the books. And I probably already had the books honestly on my bookshelf collecting dust. Um, <laughs> you know the stud you know the Razy stud eight or better. Oh yeah um split pop book, yeah. Yeah. book and you know mason malmuth or sklansky's you know seven car stud high book and the sklansky razz book and just just read all those and um you know later i've, I've kind of realized that all these books had a lot of holes in them but at the time they were enough to beat soft games com- you know combined with talking to friends um about strategy and uh and just kind of learned from there yeah uh, and 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 then started playing the, the, the you know the 100, 200 to 400, 800 mixed games on stars. And I was never um, an elite mixed game player back at that time. I was I was only a tight decent mixed game player who could who could beat a soft game. And it took me a while to um, probably you know until I moved out to Los Angeles and really. Started playing live mixed games exclusively instead of, you know, really not playing much Hold'em at all to really transition to where I thought I was, you know, one of the better players instead of just a, a, a tight player who, who could win in a soft game.
0: Uh, you started playing the uh, 10K mixed events at the series and uh, got your first bracelet in 2013. Yep. in Induce. Um, well, how'd that feel? <laughs> was, that that, felt was that like a bucket list thing for you?
1: It was, I think, yeah, it was at the time. Um, It it, it certainly was. It was, it was pretty emotional. Um, You know, if you if you Google the uh, the video, I I definitely shed like a tear or two. I try to hold it back, but uh, yeah, it was it was pretty huge for me. Um, And even then, I I, you know, so there was no limit. Juice to seven, and I wasn't really playing that that game. Still had not become as popular as it is now. So. People weren't really putting it in the mixes, so I was playing mix games a lot back then. But it really wasn't showing up in the mix all that much. Um, so I was playing a lot of regular juice to seven triple draw, but not much no limit um, single draw. So uh, it, it 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 felt really good. I was text I I texted that that whole tournament with uh, my buddy Brian Tate, who's a great poker player and knew the game better than me and. I was just setting him hands. You're uh, talking about breakfast mogul, Brian Tate? Yes, breakfast mogul, Brian Tate, exactly. <laughs> yeah, overnight oats. Um, yeah, so, so and in, 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 in one thing that's great about the World Series of Poker is that um, I, I feel like I've done a lot of my mixed game learning at the World Series of Poker, because what happens is you sign up for a tournament and, you know, say it's Omaha 8 or better, and, 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 and you play Omaha 8 or better, but, but maybe you don't play it all that much. But if you if you can run good early and build up a stack, all of a sudden you're playing intense Omaha 8 or better for two or three days, thinking only about Omaha 8 or better, texting, you know, if you're lucky enough to have, you know, someone like Mark Gregorich or Oase or something, something like that in your phone, say, hey, do you mind looking at this hand and that you're just thinking so much about about these specific games when, when you enter these specialty tournaments that you really can improve a lot. And I feel like I improved a ton at No Limit Juice to seven during that tournament. You know, from day one to day three, I was a different player. And and then, you know, and then all of a sudden it became a strength of mine instead of a game that I didn't really know all that well besides the the basic theory.
0: That's funny. I remember that tournament specifically. I interviewed David Baker. Yep. And, uh, like late on day one, or and he was describing some strategy to me, and I was like, "Oh, I have no idea how to play this game at all." <laughs> like the stuff he was talking about was just so beyond, and I'm I'm ahead of its time, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you went on to beat him heads up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
1: it was, yeah. And and he was kind of like you said, he was ahead of his time. I think he had won the year before, and clearly a very good player. Um, so. Yeah, I was happy that that heads up was short. You know, I just kind of uh, um, picked up a hand early and 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 I think won maybe a 60-40 against him. And all of a sudden it was over. And that was a lot better. I, I it, w- it was a lot better result than, you know, grinding against someone who's clearly a very good player.
0: Uh, your other bracelet came a few summers ago, also in low ball, triple draw. Uh, yeah. Was that uh, a little bit more comfortable for you?
1: Yeah, at the time, I mean, so th- that tournament was um, two to seven triple draw, eight to five triple draw, and um, It was twenty five hundred dollars buy in, so it was a little bit of a softer field and a really good structure. That's that's such a great tournament, um, and, and every year um, it seems like a really, you know, I, it, so I think there's only been four years of that tournament, and and I'm pretty clearly the worst player to ever, ever <laughs> win that tournament, which is. <laughs> You know, somewhat wild, but yeah, uh, Dan Zach won it, Chris Vich won it, and then Johannes Becker won it. The and, cream
0: rises to the top.
1: Yeah, and all three of those guys are, you know, clearly top ten in the world. You know, um, you know, theorists on. Or, you know, it, it I, I don't know. I don't know about the ranking, but they might be the the actual top three at at those. You know, that, at, at that exact tournament. So. It's just it was a great tournament. I felt really good the whole way. I felt like I had an edge the whole way, and obviously ran good the whole way. And yeah, it it was it was a very satisfying tournament. And felt it the the win felt different um, than than the first one for sure.
0: Let's talk about close calls. Uh, The biggest one, obviously, you finished third in the 50k Poker Players Championship for 600k. We also have a runner-up in the 10K Limit Hold'em, a runner-up in the 10K Stud, fifth place at the LAPC, third place in a Stud 8 or better. You know, which one is the most painful? (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, no, I mean, that's a fair question. Uh, Two two stand out clearly as the most painful. Um, uh, Number one, the most painful would be the LAPC main event um, because I just... um, I was in such a groove in that tournament. Um, I was feeling so good. And then, uh, you know, I still look, you know, still look back to the, to the day of the final table. Um, you know, so, so it, the way the LAPC is set up, if you're a Los Angeles re- resident, it's just awesome because it starts at tw- 12 noon, it ends around 839. So you miss traffic both ways. You can sleep in your bed, you can get plenty of rest and I was just loving it. Just 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 really enjoying the commute and you know and you know preparing myself. And then the day of the final table, you know, you're doing interviews um, in the morning and, and and there's it's just a whole different thing. And it doesn't start till four o'clock in the afternoon. And for whatever reason that threw me off. And I think I went to get a haircut before and I went to get new sunglasses and just had this whole different mindset the morning of the final table. And then at the at the final table realized that they um, that the blinds uh, get get moved up, which or no or, or no the levels get uh, turboed up, which I didn't realize until the first hand was dealt, and then all of a sudden you're playing 30 minute levels. So just just overall, I just um, am frustrated with the way I prepared for that day, and you know don't think I did a great job um, of of that you know um, of preparing for that day. You know, there's really no huge mistakes that I feel like I made. Um, and I actually made, you know, some, some some good plays watching it back, you know, you know, folded, you know, f- you know, made a tough fold and stuff like that. But I just, uh, you know, look back on it and think that, um, you know, if I had just, you know, just just wish I had the whole day to do over again, because I went in three of six, felt really good about everything and ended up coming in fifth. So, so that, was, that was a rough one. Um, and then I, I, I wish, you know, obviously I wish I had won the, uh, the 50K, uh, BBC, <laughs> but I and, and that would be probably the second biggest um, one that, that's painful, although it was a huge score for me at the time. I had a decent chunk of myself, um, but I was three handed um, with with, you know, pretty much we all had equal chips. And, uh, you know, if, if things went a little differently, uh, you know, I could have just won and that would have been yeah. pretty amazing.
0: That was, uh, you and Johnny world and, uh, Brandon Shaq Brandon Harris. Harris. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon's been on this podcast. Got to get, yeah, actually, uh, I actually, I actually listened to a little
1: bit of that uh, this morning and, and just kind of, yeah, yeah. I, I've listened to your podcast in the past with just a little bit of preparation just to see what the oh. flow was. So <laughs> later
0: on, I'm going to ask you about your time with the band Muse okay <laughs> yeah just like yeah. brandon had
1: i remember that yeah it's funny i didn't hear that part um this morning but now you say that i i do remember listening to that back in the day
0: yeah yeah that's an interesting story um yeah. all right uh we ask everybody what did you do with the bracelets do they yeah. do they hang um, somewhere are they displayed
1: I, i'm looking at them right now i mean not they, they weren't in my direct eye shot before you that, but, <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> Yeah, I know that I have a nice little office set up uh, in my house and they're, they're just on the shelf. Um, my son um, uh, thinks that they are watches or at least calls them watches. And um, one of the movies that he loves, um, uh, one of the characters um, has this like watch that their father gave them that like they like cherish. So like he he like kind of likes you know, wearing the watch around the house and being like, you know, calling it his watch. So so I usually try to give him um, the 2017 one because it's a little less special to me. So if he, <laughs> if he breaks it, then it's a But, you know, the 2013 to one, it def, definitely has a little more sentimental value to me. So I try to keep that one away from him a little bit more.
0: Oh, right. We have some rapid fire questions to close it out if you're ready. Sure. Let's see here all right all right so you play all the games tournaments high stakes cash who's the best player in the world to you by whatever metric you use
1: oh, that's me. um, well i'm having a hard time um, is, it, is
0: it a cash game player is it a high roller
1: yeah a million names just went through my head, but for some reason none of them are sticking um <laughs> you know like it, you know my answer honestly is not David Oppenheim, but that but his name definitely ran through my head because he's he plays in Bobby's room he's been there mm-hmm. forever and and he beats it and he's well respected but but it I would can't not be
0: the the first person to say him,
1: yeah honestly, but he's not my answer you know <laughs> <laughs> just because he like I don't think he is the best in the world I think he's very good, but I think he he probably has, you know, some holes. That if I could come up with a, yeah, I guess maybe Ike Haxton would might be
0: might be a good answer. Yeah, um, if he's even playing these days.
1: Yeah, um, just you know, and he's probably not as good at mixed games, but he's clearly, you know, very, you know, way better at the, at, at the no limit and PLO, and is also very good at mixed games at this point too. So, sure, will and I really like him a lot too. So I'll, I'll and I also like David, but I'll I'll throw like Ike Haxton's name out there.
0: Where do you uh? side in the cash game versus tournaments debate as far as skill level I mean I've talked to cash game players who swear up and down that that is by far the harder route to go um,
1: yeah at this point just just poker in general is just so um so high level at, at the highest levels that I, I just really um, respect both and I think that there's a ton of skill involved in both um, you know so it, it you know maybe a null no one and hold them Player certainly um it's a lot it's easier to become a proficient no limit holden player than a great you know 10 game mixed player who can beat you know bobby's earned two thousand four thousand but I, I i just think you know you need to have so much skill and and uh hard work to to, to do either at this point so it, it, it's really a hard one
0: who's the best player we've never heard of so somebody you get to shout out who doesn't get credit that they that they should <laughs> um
1: you didn't prepare me for these um <laughs> yeah my you know my my buddy yeah i never heard of this really it's really hard line. well you know the yeah. average poker fan may not
0: i yeah, sure i've heard of him but right
1: so like dan zach used to be the answer but he, he kind of broke out this year well, um yeah, um you know my my buddy matt Mazik um who maybe you haven't heard of um is just kind of a la cash game grinder um who has ba- you know he, he did come second to scott siever in the 10k limit hold i think two years ago but in general really hasn't had much tournament success mostly because he doesn't really enter them that much but he, he's he's like kind of that you know classic t- tournament grinder who's beaten you know black jit games for years but you know not that many people really know much about him so i guess i'll I'll use him matt smazik
0: shout out to matt um Mm -hmm. let's see here where was oh okay biggest game you've ever played in
1: Uh, i played three thousand six thousand in bobby's room so i guess that's yeah i guess that's that's definitely the answer um i didn't have all myself but i had probably only had half of myself i guess Uh, but i was definitely playing really big i mean i usually like when i play i I played 1500 3000 a lot and i never have all myself for that i mean at most i'll have like you know maybe i guess 70 percent. so yeah so playing 3000 6000 with half of myself was uh yeah was, was 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 pretty uh pretty wild and you know the game was exceptional and it was kind of one of those things where they're like who wants to kick it up and you know i object once and you know, maybe get a dirty look from Gus Hansen or something. And then, just, <laughs> and then you know, the second time it gets brought up, I just don't say anything and, you know, text a friend. It's like, hey, you got an extra 20% here or whatever it is.
0: Did you feel any different? <clears throat> does, it, does it feel any different when more is on the table or is everything just the same decision to you at this no, point? No, it feels
1: different for sure. Yeah, I mean, when the money – yeah, I mean, it, 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 basically you want to play – it, it, it's hard. You know the old the old cliche that like if the money is meaningful to you, then you're, then, then then you're probably playing too big. Like it should just be like bullets to you. Like while that in theory might be true, like if you stumble upon you know a two thousand four thousand game, you know, and you have the money in your box and the players, you know, I'm not saying this particular game the players weren't terrible, though it was a good, very good game, but like sometimes you're gonna play above your head if the game is exceptional and you're just gambling and, and you know, with an edge and you hope you win, but if you lose, it hurts. And while you're in the pot, it's impossible just to totally ignore the fact that if you lose, it's really going to hurt, but you just, you know, as rational gambler or just as gambler, you try to ignore that stuff and, and, and do the best you can.
0: Well, you, you bring up an interesting point about the table. Uh, I'm wondering what would you rather have? Would you rather have a game where it's you and maybe like four or five other top level players and one huge whale fish, or a game with like five or six B plus pros.
1: Um, I've I always oh well that's a slightly different question. I thought you were going to ask. I, the, the answer to that is certainly the uh, the whale fish uh, version. Um, but yeah, I guess what I thought you were going to say is like, would you would you rather have a table of, of you know all really loose players or maybe like a mix of like a bunch of loose players but also some like you know tighter mm-hmm. players to keep the balance and i've actually like from my days of like 15 30 limit hold them um i've always felt that i'm 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 pretty good probably better than most um even pros at navigating a loose game um like i just i, I do feel like chaotic
0: ones my, yeah
1: the chaotic loose <laughs> games i feel like one of my strengths is adjusting to those um so you know, I'm I'm always I'm I'm always a fan of, of just a crazy game and, and you know and 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 trying to make the proper adjustments in the moment. Biggest pot you've ever won or lost? Um. Well, the the most I, I'm not I'm not sure the exact answer, but the most meaningful big pot I've ever won was um I, I was uh, I was in New York City and I'm just playing online and my cousin who was in New York city and you know, kind of an amateur poker player, but, but serious amateur was over and he was just kind of watching me. And it's kind of the same story I was telling earlier where a guy was playing, he was in a 25, 15 Olympic game. All of a sudden I see him hop to a 200, 400 no limit hold game.
0: <laughs> um,
1: and at the time, um, I had played zero hands of 200, 400 no limit hold Um, you know, it was after, um, I had won that Bellagio tournament and after I've had some success. So I, Certainly had some money, but I 200-400 Nolan and Oldham wasn't anything I would ever play at the time. Anyways, I jumped in, and the very first hand, uh, I'm on the big blind, he raises the button, I three bet with ace king and he just jams in (laughs) 40,000 and I call and he has ace queen and I hold and just win 40,000 on the very first hand. Um, So easy. So it was an $80,000 pot. So yeah, I would say that's not the biggest hand I've ever played, but as far as like when that question is asked, that's always the hand that comes to mind. Game selection, guys. It's yeah, that exactly. important. <laughs> yeah, no, if you if you're if you're an aspiring poker player out there, if you want to take anything away from this conversation, game selection is really big. Although in this current poker environment, game selection is a lot different and and, and how to navigate it, it's a lot different. Um so yeah, maybe that's a discussion for a different time. But,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, best swap or piece you've ever had of anybody.
1: Um uh, well, okay, So, Pete, so in 2007, I had seven percent of uh, Chino Ream when he came in seventh place in the main event, and um, I was also back. You collect. <laughs> I collected. I yeah. Yep. Chino, Chino's alright in my book. I I understand he has his faults, but he's always been okay with me. And not that he's never owed me money, he has, but more you know, more or less, we're we're square and. Yeah, that day I walked with him and the Mizraki brothers and a couple other people who had pieces to to their hotel room. He handed me, <laughs> handed me all the cash on the spot. I gave him a big hug and you know maybe you know, again maybe smoked a little uh, marijuana <laughs> and, and 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 you know safely made my way back to the Bellagio. Um, so yeah, that was great. And then I also had. Um, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I was, you know, more or less backing Owen Crow at the time, um, and he came in fifteenth um, at in that same tournament. So that was uh, that 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 was as far as life change or you know as far as career changing uh, um, poker moments for me. That that's high on the list because you know now I had all this extra money, um, and I remember um, just going out to LA um, soon after, and you know kind of running it up in cash games from there. So that that's
0: crazy how really crazy. how you know the big winners of the summer sometimes you have no idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it is crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, for sure. It, yeah, and I, it doesn't really happen to me much anymore because I'm not as into backing, but I certainly have had. um You know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think Benny, for example. Yeah, I, I certainly have had, had some, some, some real luck in backing um, at times. Like I don't think Benny Glazer would. Uh, would, would, would be upset if i mentioned that i had a big piece of him you know the year that he broke or not a big piece i had a, a a nice piece of him the year that he broke out so that was you know i mean just stuff like that is just so fortunate um you know you have the right friend that you know is talented and you know invest in them in the right time And it's just uh, it, it can really it can really help 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 a summer for sure yep.
0: omaha specialist benny glazer yep. uh, weirdest place you've ever played poker for money
1: um, well, I played poker I, again. I, I, these questions are hard because I, you know, I've been around for so long that I, a lot of different things pop in my mind. But um, I, I went uh, when I was first getting into poker. Um, I my, my father um, was going to Austria, the country of Austria, um, for a barbershop quartet uh, convention. Um, my, my, <laughs> my, my father is, um, you know, a, an amateur singer musician. So he a, a baritone uh he's a tenor i think <laughs> Yeah, exactly well, that's, that's alto i think <laughs> no he's the highest one the highest of the four whatever that and i think it's a tenor um so so i went to austria with him just him and i i must have been you know i was out of college at the time you know it was just a trip you know i he was like hey come to austria with me and you know I, you know your mom can't go doesn't want to go and you know i have i have a free you know a free second you know plus one so i went and it was it didn't really have that much to do especially when he was doing the barbershop quartet stuff you know i was alone in austria so i used the internet to find you know which was a little harder at the time to find a a poker club and i played a this is actually the first time I played seven card stud. I played I played one dollar, three dollar, seven card stud all night, you know, multiple multiple nights. Um, and so I don't know how weird that is, but it's just memorable as like, wow. That, I, thinking back to you know now my like long poker career, like it's kind of funny that you know at one point in two thousand three I was playing you know one three you know seven card stud limit in Austria.
0: Well now you know why people are lining up in Florida to play. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you got to have that poker I even guess so, uh yeah. even stud in Austria. I mean, you could have gone to the uh Arnold Schwarzenegger museum.
1: No, you're right. No, it's a great point. I mean, it, it yeah, just my thirst for poker <laughs> at that time was so big. It really is a good point cuz now I would never think to to you know to be in Austria by myself and and go play poker multiple nights in a row. But at the time, like I couldn't think of anything better. And and it was it was a great cultural experience. You know, you're you're sitting there. You know, they're all you know they're they're speaking different languages, and you know you're kind of you know getting a a taste of the of the culture um, in in that way, which is pretty unique to poker in some some ways.
0: Yeah, 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 that's that's not the touristy stuff. You're seeing the real deal. Exactly,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: what was the worst job you had before poker?
1: Uh, Brugger's Bagels. Um, yeah, yeah, I worked at Bruger's Brugger, Bagels um, one summer. Um, I guess it was college. Um, and it, it, it was a bad job in general as far as not enjoying it. But part of what made it bad was I just wasn't that good at it. Um, so it was just, you know, a little, you know, it, I just, I'm just not a am uh, not great in the kitchen. Uh, there's really, well, what did what they have you doing cleaning or cooking or? Uh, no, I was, I was at the front making sandwiches for people. Um, but yeah, I guess, some, you know, it, it was type you know, I guess it was, uh, you would have different responsibilities. Maybe, you know, if a box came in from, from a truck in the back, maybe you maybe it's your turn to stock, stock it in the freezer or, yeah, some cleaning, but I would say the majority of it was just making, you know, just, 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 taking orders from customers. And yeah, I had no problem like interacting with the customers and stuff, but I just, I just wasn't great at any of it. You know, you follow a protocol, but I mean, I, I certainly didn't excel at any of it. And I think one, one, one week I came in and the schedule was up and my hours were like way reduced. So, and I, and I just, just remember just quitting the next day, just being like, okay, I, I, I'm not really enjoying this anyways. And, you guys clearly don't love me. An anyway, so let's uh, let's move on. Uh, let's
0: talk sports. You mentioned uh, that you follow the Red Sox, uh, and obviously, you're a bit of a sports gambler. <laughs> when yeah. did this all start?
1: Uh, well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge, uh, huge. I've been a huge sports fan for my whole life. Um, um, one of my first uh, words, um, according to my parents, was a uh, Larry Bird. <laughs> um it, like you know literally like one of the first things i ever said i guess you know after after like a couple of the, the staples um so yeah i just i just grew up in boston in the 80s um which was a really easy time to fondle the sports um and my father despite uh, his his tenor uh, singing was also like a he was a a goalkeeper um in college at umass um and also like a I think made the freshman basketball team, but then ended up not not playing much basketball. It, anyway, I come from, you know, as far as white Jewish families go, uh, a pretty athletic family, and always loved sports. And uh, you know, used to win. Won my father's company's uh, college basketball office pool office pool so often that they uh, banned me from, <laughs> from, from participating eventually. Um, and, yeah, just have sort of always just been a huge sports fan. and uh, and yeah, it you know has finally transitioned into DFS, I guess.
0: Well, were you uh, a sports better before DFS?
1: Uh, n- n- I, I, not that seriously. I, you know i would I, I would make bets on sports, and um, you know I bet on the Patriots, um, you know to win the Super Bowl a, a bunch of times, you know, so so got lucky doing that. Um, and I've always enjoyed sports betting to a point, but also knew that unless, <clears throat> unless I dedicated, you know, my life to it or a, a lot of time to it, I wasn't going to be a winning sports better. So I was always pretty realistic about that.
0: And got it, got it. Cause that's what I was trying to figure out what your attraction to DFS was, whether it's just, you know, the thrill of gambling on sports or in a new way, or if it was just the methodical way of setting lineups and finding the right combination
1: yeah i mean dfs is just really fun uh so you know it was one of those things that i i purposely didn't get into it for a while because i knew it would um it it would take up a lot of my time like i i really didn't know that and and when i did get into it it did take up a lot of my time and it eventually impeded on my my poker as far as poker studying or even poker playing you know i would I, you know, I instead of you know maybe learning PLO or something, I would you know be studying uh, NFL lineups all weekend or something mm-hmm. like that. So um, yeah, so 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 DFS is just 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 a really fun thing to do, and that's really how I got into it first. But also, I had enough friends at the time who were you know telling me that they were beating it and telling me that it was soft and that there was you know it's kind of just like you know not just like but in some ways it was like party poker in 2004 where there's a lot of soft money you know sports betting you're you're betting against the house and it's it's hard to beat the house um, you know DFS it's peer to peer and you're playing against other people you know with with some high rake but you're still you're still competing against other people and if you can get a big enough edge against other people who aren't you know maybe taking it as seriously or aren't as you know as good at DFS as you then you can make money at it and I just felt it was like a clearer path to to actually profit. And it is uh,
0: so like this December, obviously things went well for you. Yeah. You won the fantasy football world championship for DraftKings.
1: I did, $2 yeah. Million <clears throat> really. Two
0: million dollars.
1: Unbelievable. Two million
0: dollars for fantasy football.
1: Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, the biggest fantasy football tournament of the year, and uh, I had qualified um, for it, um, and I really, it, um, yeah, I had qualified for it, and, and uh, I just kind of ran the best and played, I guess, you know, one of the best that day, and, and, and you know, it was a day that you know, I could have ended the day with ten thousand dollars or twenty or two hundred or two million dollars, and just somehow it all just came together, and and it's I'm very grateful for it because it came at a great time, as far as the poker landscape changing and uh, all that different stuff, and really really solidified a lot of things for me.
0: You got in uh,
1: for a six hundred
0: dollar qualifier, uh, and now obviously turning six hundred into two million, you know, poker scale wise. That doesn't seem like that seems amazing, but at six hundred dollars, that's a high buy-in for the site, right?
1: Yeah, and and actually, uh, what it was was I, I entered. I mean, you know, the, the thing is, and I'm sure the poker audience can understand this. Like, it wasn't the only satellite that I that I ever played for this tournament. Right, um, like you know, I, 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 that's I the
0: biggest thing that the public uh, feels about DFS is that you know they're they're people who they have their favorite players and they put in a lineup and they might not even have a shot in hell against the guys who are covering every base, um, or at least the smart bases.
1: <laughs> right. Well, I, I don't mean it like that. I, I, I mean, it, it, was, it was it was a single-entry tournament, but what I'm saying is, like, you know, I probably, you know, I entered a $300 two weeks before and, and a $100, you know, so so I was taking different shots, you know, through the year at qualifying qualifying for, 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 for this, uh, for the main event, and I just happened to... To win a six hundred dollar qualifier at one point during the season. Got it. Got
0: it. Got it. All right. So obviously there are no sports at the moment, other than a few golf matches. Are you, uh, you Jones, in for sports to come back?
1: Uh, yeah. So, um, I, so at the so I was playing a ton of NBA and um, doing well with that. And um, the, the 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 last night, um, at the uh, the NBA, you know, the NBA is kind of what. What kind of um, transitioned us into some of these lockdowns, and really, in a lot of ways, changed the world because uh, Rudy Gobert for the Utah Utah Jazz, um, you know, was diagnosed with coronavirus um, right before a game started, um, you know, in the middle of March, and I was playing heavy DFS at that time, and actually, that night was lucky enough that um, I had players in. Four of the six games in my main lineup, and the two games that I didn't really have any players in were the two games that got canceled. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so it was <laughs> really, you know, maybe the theme of this podcast is another one. I know my Heat
0: were playing that night, and they got the game in.
1: Yep, I had, uh, who did I had? I had um, maybe Bam? Uh, no, oh yeah, I had Bam. Uh, man, I, I forget the other guy's name now, that's crazy. You, you, um, Jimmy Butler. It, not- not Jay Crow. No, it was it was a man. It's crazy. I don't remember his name, but it, it wasn't Jay Crowder. But it was it was it was the three four guy, the the, the dunker, the, the the guy who's good at the dunk. Oh, first. okay, okay, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Derek, <laughs> Jones yep, Derek Jones Jr. Yeah,
1: Derek Jones. I kept on wanting to say
0: Damian Jones Jr., but I knew it wasn't <laughs> right. But yeah, exactly. Derek Jones. D J J. Well, that worked out well for you, other than you know losing your yeah your income source.
1: <laughs> exactly. But it was a great, it was a great send off. I ended up, yeah, I ended up winning like a hundred thousand that night and almost won. Wow. Like, yeah. It was, it was crazy. I, I came in, I came in first in like a bunch of big tournaments and then came in second in the biggest tournament and came in second by like, you know, a half a point. So, yeah, I, there was like a final three pointer at the buzzer that didn't go in. I would have won like an extra 80,000 or something. That's crazy
0: because I feel like that was a random Tuesday or something. I mean, a yeah. like hundred thousand on a random Tuesday. I mean,
1: yeah you're, yeah, you're crushing it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I kind of just, you know, it's one of those nights where I just, you know, everything went right, and, you know, in DFS, if you're playing seriously, you're kind of entering, you know, it was my, basically my process was, like, I would create, like, five different lineups, and, like, one of them would be my main lineup, and that lineup would go in every single tournament on the whole site, so, you know, the $1,500 tournament all the way down to the $4 tournament, and, you know, I was just... You know, so if you hit, if you know, if lightning strikes and and that lineup goes off, then like you're winning all these different tournaments. So that's kind of what happened.
0: Um, uh, do you, so, are you uh, able to watch sports and enjoy it anymore, or are you just looking at individual players and muttering well, under your breath?
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm certainly able to watch sports and enjoy it. I certainly, I mean, you know, I'm still not, even though I, you know, had a great year. I'm still I'm not necessarily a full-time DFS pro, even though, you know, you know, I was really enjoying it. Um, And and, yeah, I would say my fandom for my, my specific Boston teams maybe has gone down, you know, some percentage, you know, maybe 10%, maybe I just, or probably more on a random Sunday, like, you know, instead of just watching the Patriots and like caring so much about, how the Patriots do in that exact game I'm a little bit more worried about my DFS teams but when it gets to the playoffs I'm still pretty diehard and all, all that kind of stuff um but yeah so anyways you asked about what I'm doing now I kind of you know, quickly transitioned to the stock market which is really how I'm spending my time you know besides my family these days the original so- DFS <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, the, as, as uh, Brian, the icon, my God, uh, says, the, the the biggest casino in the world, and it's not even close. You know, it, it really isn't. Um, so, yeah, I've been waking up, you know, at four in the morning, West Coast time and, you know, preparing for the day of trading and, and trying to learn. Um, you know, my friend, uh, my friend Nick has been like a, 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 a I have a friend, Nick, uh, who's actually. I met through Brian Mycon, who's just like really a genius at some of this stuff, and has been mentoring me a little bit. Or, you know, I don't know if he would call it mentoring, but he's been helping me a ton and just been learning a lot about um, basically day trading and, and a little bit about the mark, markets in general and, and how uh, and, and, and how someone might approach uh, doing it for a living. I guess it's all about
0: table selection, right? <laughs>
1: Uh yeah I guess so. Uh, well you know another theme is just uh, you know kind of my career in gambling is just uh n- knowing knowing the right people honestly sometimes sometimes and, and it's not it's not really it's not by design normally it's just you know you happen to you know, be friends with a Benny Glazer who, you know, not only, you know, might win you some money, but also, you know, might teach you a thing or two about Omaha 8 or better, or just, you know, or or Mark Gregorich or, you know, now my friend Nick and just stuff like that. uh, you know, I've been fortunate with, and, uh, you know, I, I, you can learn a lot from from, from people um, if, if you're willing to accept that they know more than you. And that's something that I've, I'm usually pretty good at. So, um, yeah. And so, so it's been it's been fun with, with, with the markets and certainly a great time uh, to be in the chair, as one of my other trading friends says, you know, just just to be, in, you know, just to be trading in an environment like this, even as someone who's not necessarily that good at it. Um, it's just there's so much opportunity out there.
0: Yeah, everything's pretty volatile. <laughs> so.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: So. Uh, that's kind of what, doing. what was your largest non-poker wager? I guess you could also say non-DFS as well.
1: Uh, well, I mean, the sports betting count. Or you're you're thinking more of a prop, uh, prop bet or something like that? I guess. Yeah. You know, bet with friends or
0: Super Bowl. Or I don't know.
1: Well, I mean, I. Pretty much since like 2010, I've, I've bet between five and ten thousand dollars on the Patriots, um, you know, to win the Super Bowl at like, you know, anywhere from like five to one to ten to one odds. So that's kind of like a, a, a somewhat big bet that I that I make every year. Um, that you're profiting on, I believe. Yeah, for sure. Now, I mean, they've won, they've won three, Yeah. You know, <laughs> three, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's been good for sure. Um, yeah and then I you know I, I I I had a local bookie um, basically shut me down because he thought I was some expert on um, on season long futures and I was like it's like, I'm a Boston sports fan. I have bet on the Patriots. I bet on the Red Sox. Yeah. Like, <laughs> sorry that Boston teams win every single year. Like, I Can don't... anybody even
0: be an expert at futures? Isn't that one of the worst bets you can make in a casino?
1: It's Yeah, I mean, it's supposedly, you know, in general. I, I, I You know, that guy uh, James Hol- Holzhauer, the, the Jeopardy guy, I guess, mm-hmm. said that um, he, he finds a lot of edges in futures. Um, But, yeah, in general, it's one of the highest big bets um, uh you know bets on the board but i guess if you know if you really get down the nitty-gritty and you know you're betting you know the pit you know the pirates to win at 18 to 1 when they should be you know 14 to 1 or something like that you know maybe you can find some edge but yeah i mean that's certainly not what i was doing i was just picking my favorite teams to win and they just kept winning
0: Mm, Jeopardy James. I invited him on this podcast and he said he was a little too busy at the moment. So I'm going to I'm going to harass him again. Ask him about those futures. You should. That would be interesting. Let's see here. Do you have a celebrity doppelganger? Or growing up, was there anybody that people said you looked like?
1: Um, You know, I was prepared for this question. Interesting. Uh, I didn't yeah. ask
0: it to Brandon. <laughs>
1: uh, I think you asked it. Yeah, you asked it to to someone I was listening to. Um, uh, to, so so my answer, even though I'm not proud of it, is uh, Joey Chestnut, um, which my my friend oh, uh, Chestnut.
0: I have never gotten a good close look at him. You're talking about the hot dog guy. The hot
1: dog guy, yeah. I'll oh, be i cool equivalent right now. <laughs> I, I have friends, you know. One of my my friend Kevin Klein. He's a he's a comedian and a and a radio host. He went to Syracuse with me, and I actually just googled him again right now. And oh he, my he, god, <laughs> you, you <do> see it.
0: <laughs> well, I think you have more teeth than he does. So maybe this. Is yeah, whatever it is.
1: Picture. But I mean, my my friend my friends have found some, you know. It, it, it's hard to ha- find a picture, you know. And, you know, it, it's not always going to be perfect, but my friends have found some amazing pictures of us uh, side by side that that uh, are kind of unflattering, but but. I would uh, need
0: a picture of you with your hand over your mouth, looking like <laughs> like you're about to puke. Yeah, all the I, veins in your forehead popping out. Man, this guy. <laughs> these are not. These are not flattering photos.
1: <laughs> uh, I will email you one that my, my friend put on us.
0: <laughs> Joey Chestnut. That's that's great. Uh, all right. What is the most entertaining thing you've watched, read, or listened to since uh, self isolation?
1: Um, okay. Uh, so I, I'm, I, I really haven't um, got. Uh, actually it, it's funny you asked me before this uh the podcast what i might not want to talk about and i basically <laughs> said politics but um mm-hmm. so this this isn't totally politics but uh i um i started to read this book called um the case for the nation by uh, an author uh jill lapore um it's actually called this america the case for the nation um and i guess the the the, the most interesting thing i've uh, I got from it and I'll try to make it uh, short and sweet, especially because I hadn't even finished the book or even. <laughs> book. Um, what if you get to the end and it's like, it was all a dream. Right. Well, my, my friend kind of gave me a little synopsis <laughs> going into it too. Um, and it's just, uh, that, um, yeah, this actually is very politics, but, but just that the, um, the Republican party has, uh, and this, it's not going to be negative towards either party, um, but, yeah, the Republican Party has kind of uh, um, taken um, nationalism and, and just, like, pride for America as kind of, like, their marketing um, slant while, you know, and successfully done this. Well, you know, like, if you picture someone with the American flag in their front yard, like, in general, you're you're probably going to think that they're Republican. And, you know, this kind of mm, that's a, yeah, it's kind of a weird thing that's happened with Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing that's happening with our country where... You know, the Democrats have, have, you know, I don't even think they meant to do it, but somehow the marketing of, of their party has moved away from nationalism and moved away from, you know, you know, being, you know, American is important and being an American, you know, is not something to be ashamed of. And, you know, clearly racism or 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 or, or not liking someone because they're not American is, is yeah, not good. Um, you know, being proud of being American is not the same as disliking someone who isn't American or not respecting someone. So just kind of an interesting concept that I've never really, you know, seen put, you know, know, never really thought about before, but um, yeah. So, you know, and, and just in general, just been thinking a lot about, you know, you know, partisan politics and how our country is a little, uh, you know, so divided, you know, based on politics right now, which is really frustrating to me. Jill Lepore. Yeah. Let's
0: see here. Professor of American history at Harvard University and staff writer at the New Yorker. Check it out. Yeah,
1: she also has has a book called um, "This America," which is like two thousand. No, never mind. She she has another. What, what's it, I don't I don't remember what the other book's called. But it, it, she yeah, has the a name
0: of war, the whites in their eyes, blind spot, New York burning. <laughs> None
1: of those so far. <laughs> um,
0: she's she's uh, a these truths.
1: These truths. Yeah. It's uh, called these truths, like hey guys, and these truths that uh, you know the um, yeah uh, it, it history of the United States, yeah, it, it, it's like a two thousand page book, but it's it's pretty, pretty popular or pretty well known.
0: Well, you know, some people they read history uh, books, and some people read political books, and some people watch Tiger King. So, yeah, I mean, to
1: be honest with you, I really <laughs> have not done much reading during this quarantine at all. I've really just like, you know, stared at my Twitter account and like, you know, tried to like, un- you know, figure out what stocks to buy. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, you know, it, in that realizing that I need to expand a little bit, I, I have tried to, you know, seek out a little bit of reading and maybe learning a little bit more about the world that we live in, you know, especially at this time.
0: Uh, do you like telling people that you are a professional poker player? Uh, not really, no. Do you, do you lie to cab drivers and Uber drivers?
1: I have before. Um, yeah, I I guess I have before. I guess now I would probably tell them that I'm, that, that, I, that I, you know, I'm a stock trader, even though I'm certainly would not consider myself a professional uh, stock trader, but I just feel like, um, if I didn't want to go into everything, then, then that's probably what I would do. Yeah. You're um, not going to
0: get much follow up there unless the person's like is really into it and then they're just asking you for tips which could be also a trouble
1: yeah that's true and i've never tried that before so i could see that being trouble also Um, (laughs) but usually people like to talk about themselves if if they can so so i guess i'd almost rather hear them talk about their stock tips than hear them talk about like you know the last time they played two four limit hold'em
0: type thing right 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 uh do you have a nemesis or someone you can't beat in poker someone who's always held over you
1: um no i guess i guess I no, no one comes to mind um i guess one thing that comes to mind is that uh john hennigan um always claims that i'm his nemesis um when, when i play with him but he also as we talked about earlier yeah kind first of in the yeah so i i every once in a while i remind him I'm pretty of sure that.
0: the prize difference between yours and <laughs> his was pretty massive exactly make yes. up for any difference 300
1: 600 uh triple draw hand that we might play against each other but you <laughs> know i kind of just so sometimes usually i just let him run with it because he's pretty funny in general and you know it's 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 hard to argue with him sometimes uh headphones on at the table yes or no um, no, I mean, certainly not during cash games, um, unless, unless I'm, you know, I, the only times that you'll see me wearing a headphone in a cash game is if I'm, re, you know, I, I'm almost for sure going to be losing and, you know, boiling inside and tilted and just kind of need to relax somehow, or mm-hmm. if I guess, you know, I, I I don't, I only have like the iPhone headphones at the table usually, so. You know, noise I don't really bring noise canceling headphones, although if if I'm ever playing with Mike Matisau, um, who I like and I'm friendly with, um, I, I would I would love if someone would let me borrow their noise canceling headphones because especially during a World Series of poker tournament, uh, it's it's he he, he can he's he and I tell him this to his face, so I don't mind saying it here, he's just so worried about his own life and his own, you know, what's going on with himself in the moment that uh that it, it does frustrate me. I just don't, you know, I'm trying to focus on myself. I don't it is
0: incredible problems. how often he comes up in this question. Yeah. I never prompt it. I don't tell people beforehand, hey, That's this what? is a good spot to dig at Mike Madison. It just <laughs> comes up every time. It's well, insane. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, was, I don't wear headphones unless I'm at Mattisau's table. <laughs> yeah.
1: And when you when you asked the question, I didn't even think about it. And then as I just kept on thinking, I was like, yeah, that would be the answer, <laughs> Madison.
0: All right. So you're not listening to anything at the tables, but if you were, you know, it'd be fish or the grateful dead, I'm assuming.
1: Um, yeah. Talking your bands. Talking heads is actually, um, if I'm ever, if I ever have anxiety or like if I'm ever like in a bad headspace at poker mm-hmm. table, I would say talking heads first and then grateful dead second would be, uh, what usually kind of brings me back to, uh, to, to where I want to be.
0: That's cool. I love, uh, I'm not a big Talking Heads fan, but I think I've seen Stop Making Sense like 30 times.
1: Yeah, amazing! Really, one of the really best
0: amazing. concert movies ever. Um, so, how many times have you seen Fish live?
1: Um, I, I think.
0: Oh, was it Grateful Dead, the one that you go to?
1: Are you a uh, Deadhead or <laughs> or Fishhead? Um. So. I, I would say as far as what I listen to at home I you know and, and maybe what I you know like more maybe the Grateful Dead by a nose but uh you know I grew up in the 90s and, and you know early 2000s when mm-hmm. you know Jerry, Jerry Garcia passed away in 1995 so I never got to see him live once you know I was 15 when he died and uh I saw my first fish concert later that year and then I've been I guess I I've went to 175 cents um, you know,
0: 175 concerts
1: yeah i mean you know a
0: lot of those were
1: um you know certain years where i just went to you know you know back you know back to back to back to back right movies. right you followed
0: them on, on their tours and stuff okay
1: for sure yeah i mean these days it's it's more like you know two to five a year um something like that you know it, it, I'm, <laughs> I'm certainly much less obsessed uh, than than i used to be but you know I, you know when i was going to see them all the time they were they were they were a great band to go see you know night after night after night. I I, I still love them, but I don't necessarily feel the need to see them as much um, now because they're a little past uh, whatever the the, the the magical peak was. I would say
0: that's funny. Uh, my boss uh, Jeff Shulman is obviously a huge Fishhead, and um, he was just telling me last week about they're releasing these old live shows. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it was some show from '97 uh, that I got a link to. Yep. And I, I got through about 40 minutes. <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty good for me. That is pretty I, good. I like jam bands, but you know, I it, I have never been able to get into to these guys. Interesting. Well, I'm I'm surprised I'm surprised
1: if you like jam bands that you're not able. I, okay. I, I, I shouldn't
0: say I like jam <laughs> bands. I like yeah. bands who jam. live shows i like improvisation i like different takes on what i heard on the radio right but maybe not the 13 minute meandering (laughs) that makes more sense (laughs)
1: um
0: do you have any favorite venues i mean you've been all over the country
1: yeah um my favorite venues would be probably the gorge in washington Mm -hmm. um uh red rocks in colorado and then i um, gotta see a show at red rocks red rocks is amazing yeah um both of those are outdoor venues and then uh also um deer deer creek in indiana noblesville indiana that's probably like a little bit of a sleeper on the list but it's just like kind of out in like this cornfield in indiana and and there's camping and it's it's really pretty magical place and then as far as indoor venues uh madison square garden is is an amazing place to see a concert and then uh one place that I've only been one time, but I, I would love to go back someday, is, um, I, I don't know the name of the stadium, but it's a uh, University of Tennessee, um, where, where the team plays basketball. I saw fish there once, and mm. I just really, uh, they, they, you know, whoever whoever donated the money to build that, um, you know, it re- really went all out, because they have a state-of-the-art um, stadium there, so it was a pretty, pretty cool place.
0: Awesome. All right. A few more to wrap it up. Are you superstitious at all?
1: Yeah, I would say yes. Um, You know, I don't, not, 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 not too bad, but yeah, I would say I have some superstitions. Um, I'm not exactly sure what they, if if you're going to do that follow-up question, um, you know, maybe sometimes I don't want to talk about something that's going well, but not completed yet. Kind of just want to, you know, I don't want to, you know, like talking
0: to a picture in the middle of a no hitter exactly i
1: certainly would never do that if your stack's big you're not
0: gonna go around the bathroom breaks telling everybody how many chips you got correct yeah and if i was pitching
1: a no hitter and uh, the announcer on TV started blabbing about it. I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too happy about that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anybody comes up to Jesse,
0: you want to tilt him, just, <laughs> just compliment him on his stack.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're um, really crushing today, huh? Yeah, I, I don't like that. <laughs> but you know, I, I am also very, you know, I understand that it's unreasonable and it doesn't bother me that much. But yeah, like, yeah, I guess. I mean, even if I'm in a cash game, like say I'm just. Having a great day in a cash game, and then you know Kenny Tran or someone you know from the other day is like, "Wow, Jesse, you're Jesse's crushing all you guys today," or something like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll just think in my head, "Up, oh, okay, well, I guess that's over." Do you have a favorite movie? Um, Reservoir Dogs comes to mind. Um, I haven't really analyzed. I'm not a huge movie buff. I mean, I, I like movies like The Next Guy, but um, I haven't totally analyzed it. But yeah, I love the movie Reservoir Dogs. Um, Quentin Tarantino movie Mr. Pink uh, yeah. What about favorite gambling movie? Um, favorite gambling movie Man, I don't have a great answer um, I should, I guess Casino But is that even a, a gambling? I guess it is eh, gambling. There's gambling in it yeah. it's, in the,
0: it's in the gambling world
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a great movie
0: <laughs> Alright, do you have a bold prediction For poker's future?
1: You, you you hear me still? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, do you hear me?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I
1: know I can hear you. I had something just happened for a second. But uh, bold prediction for poker's future, man. I'm uh, I'm not very optimistic on poker's future right now, to be honest with you. And uh, it's you know, I'm very grateful for this kind of DFS win and, you know, my, my three year old son and like a new kind of transition to my life because if I was this pessimistic about poker ten years ago, I don't know what I would what I would do um, mm-hmm. because uh, you know I, I'm I, I'm poker's not going to go away um, in any or any of that stuff, but you know just uh, online poker um, is in a lot of trouble and just the private privatization of cash gains. While I understand why it's happening, um, I don't think is good for poker overall you know it's good for some people which is fine but it's not good for you know you know the the whole of poker and uh and also the fact that people are getting so good at poker isn't isn't great for the whole of poker either although to me i'm one of those people who i you know a lot of people say it's boring to watch the great players they you know they play you know kind of a uninteresting or maybe you know not as exciting style as like maybe sammy parha used to play on uh on high stakes poker, but to yeah, me, characters. right. To me, I love watching the high level players. I mean, there's not, that's the only poker that I enjoy watching is, you know, watching David Peters and Stephen Chidwick, you know, execute their, you know, their, you know, advanced strategy. Like that's really interesting to me, but I just don't think that that's going to be interesting to, you know, the common folk or, you know, the people that we want to, um, attract to poker as much you know and i don't again i don't think that's the fault of anyone i just it just uh makes me a little bit more pessimistic about the future of poker so sorry about that answer no
0: i i it's i share your concerns yeah especially uh with live poker especially i mean online poker has regulation issues not popularity issues um right So yeah, what's
1: what's happening with at least high stakes live poker these days is 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 a bummer. Um, I again I get why it's happening, but um, and 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 and, you know I myself played and even, um, you know been part of you know you know getting private cash games together in the past. Although it's probably not really something going to be doing much of in the future, but it's just um it's just a bummer you know it's just too bad that you can't just show up to the poker room anymore and put your name on the list and play in a high stakes cash game it just doesn't work like that anymore and it's uh it's you know that was a great time when 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 you could do that because it attracted people to come and and it was just a cool environment um but you know it's not how it is anymore so that's you know i'm grateful that it was like that for so long honestly
0: well the one thing i do take comfort in is that I was saying all the same things after Black Friday as well, and here we are a decade later, yeah. you know? <laughs> so. No, it's,
1: it's cool. How, I mean, poker really has done pretty well after Black Friday. And I mean, you know, I think things like the World Series of Poker um, aren't going away. And, mm-hmm. and, and so, so I think that, yeah, I, I think tournament poker is fine. I mean, you know, not that that's like too, um, yeah, you know, that's a pretty common opinion. And I think it's right. Tournament poker is more or less fine and 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 can still be interesting and people competing in the world series of poker it, it's still is still going to be a thing um you know I, it, then obviously we have the problem of uh of, of viruses and, and 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 health which i think is really terrible for poker too but you know i guess we just have to be optimistic that in you know two years you know that really won't be a big deal or you know however long that is um, yeah. Yeah, but but it is you know I think Isaac, Isaac Haxton uh, wrote a great blog um, if anyone hasn't read it on uh, you know the, w- what the new uh, what the new poker future will look like and, and what we can do to make poker uh, maybe a more sanitary game or you know a, a, a healthier environment for everyone involved and I think he did a great job laying that out and I think it's going to be something that uh, that clearly needs to be done.
0: Yeah, check that out, guys. Uh, all right, we end the podcast the same way every time with a question from the random question generator. You ready?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Here we go. All right, which do you like better, Star Wars or Star Trek?
1: I'm not a fan of either. Um, I don't. Yeah, I respect them, <laughs> but I'm not a fan of either. But I guess my answer is Star Wars.
0: Just That's been. funny. Okay, so you're neither. You're on neither team. Neither team. All right, let's change it up here. Okay. This, this is better. Which do you like better? Ninjas or pirates?
1: <laughs> um pirates, I guess. Yeah, I guess I guess again, neither in my wheelhouse, but i pirates.
0: Oh man, these questions. <laughs> They're like they always give me like the uh, the one words. Okay. Okay, here's this one's gotta produce something. What is the strangest thing you've eaten? Uh
1: strangest thing I've eaten um i do not have a great answer here I, all i can think about is uh, nothing adventurous <laughs> i mean i i mean i'm a pretty uh, adventurous eater in general but i guess I, I don't know i have some reason none of it's like coming off as like super strange i guess when you ask that question i think of the show survivor which i love and just how they used to have all those like crazy eating challenges, um, where they would eat like, uh, you know, cow brain or, or, or even worse, you know, they, you know, eat live, live, uh, live, like huge insects and stuff like that. But I, and, and I always think that I probably wouldn't be very good at that challenge, but, yeah. uh, and always surprised how, how, how all these guys just kind of do it. But yeah, for me, I, yeah, nothing comes to mind. Literally, really doesn't come to mind. I would have
0: said the poker kitchen at the Rio,
1: but yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge All American Dave guy. I, I've been I've been an All American Dave supporter from day one. Um, I you know I, I think you know I don't really care what his prices are. I think he does like a huge huge service to the poker community, and I don't even think I would enjoy the World Series of Poker without him there. So yeah, that's 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 my uh that's my poker kitchen uh hot take. Well, hopefully we see
0: you and Dave <laughs> sooner than later. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. We'll see what happens. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing the stories.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: That's it. That is the show. Thank you, Jesse, once again for the time. Everyone out there, please go follow Jesse on Twitter at Maze or Bowie. And while you're there, you can also follow us on Twitter at cardplayermedia Media or at Poker underscore stories. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already done so, and if you could please do us a favor and leave a nice rating and a review of the show on your podcast app, that would really help us out. Say some nice words, give us five stars, and then let us know about it with an email to pokerstories at cardplayer.com, and we'll give you a free digital subscription to Card Player Magazine. Thanks for listening.